This is The Lisa Show with Lisa Valentine Clark and Richie T. Fighting is a tough reality of all relationships. I mean, sometimes they're about trivial things and other times they're over much larger issues, but they shouldn't define your relationship. They should give you and your partner an opportunity to grow. But how do you use your arguments to positively shape your relationships? Well, Kim and Penn Holderness, well known as the Holderness family from their musical parodies on YouTube, have recently released a book called Everybody Fights, Why Not Get Better at It? In their book, they share their most common fight fails, as well as equip readers with tools to engage and understand rather than go to battle with their partner. And today, they're here to tell us all about it. Welcome, Kim and Penn. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for having us. Now, before we go any further, I need to know if in the works there is an R.E.M. parody for your book, the song Everybody Hurts, except it's Everybody (laughs) Fights. Please, please let me know that this is coming. Did we do that? Did we do that already, no, we've we, we've we've talked about it because I actually it's fun. I do hear that song in my head every time I say <laughs> the name of the book, but for some reason we haven't yet. Now, um, the way that our workflow goes is somebody says that, and then the video comes out three days later. Right, so, right, right. Um, <laughs> or like and like that afternoon. Yeah. We don't plan ahead well at all. That's no. amazing. Well, you had so much great success doing that. And most recently, I really appreciated your ADHD video because, you know, working in the entertainment industry and having ch- children, it was extremely relatable. Well, thank you. And I mean, ADHD is an extremely subjective thing, right? There's different levels of it. People, uh, people struggle with it in different ways. Um, and I'm certainly not a doctor who can tell you that like, oh, you're fine if you have this. Mm-hmm. But I have, I have like, thanks to a patient wife and thanks to like good friends who have been patient with me, uh, I've been able to kind of navigate through it and found some really positive aspects of it. And so that's kind of what the song was meant to be about. And um, the response has been really great. Yeah, I, it's absolutely been phenomenal to see your um, your rise really in like the in your YouTube videos and your blog. You really have a, a way of connecting with with uh, humor, right? And that's what people respond to. People want to laugh about different issues. And you certainly do that um, in a big way with this next project as well about talking about fighting, you know, something that you know we all know. You think it's so funny. Exactly. You think it's that funny. So um, of all the books that you, you know, probably had buzzing around in your head, why did you choose this topic, Kim? You know, I think because we do these silly videos, right? And we do laugh a lot. We laugh a lot in our marriage. And I think that's something that's helped our marriage. But we'd get these, you know, comments like, oh, you guys are relationship goals. You guys have the perfect marriage. And we're like, what? Us? No, you guys are watching (laughs) the wrong videos. And I wanted to be really real with people that we've gone to counseling. Like we've worked through stuff. We've hit rough patches and we learn these principles about how to communicate better and how to fight better that changed our marriage. And I'm the the way we live our life is like, if we find something great, we want to tell people about it. And when people started making those comments, I was like, we could provide a service here. Mm -hmm. We could in an entertaining way, in a funny way, talk like with our counselor about ways, like easy ways, you know, language changes that can really help people. So that's what we wanted to do. You know, the discussion that that I think socially we have is, you know, d- don't go to bed angry. Don't, yeah, don't you know, fight. don't mm-hmm. fight. Try and uh, avoid the Compromise. fight. But you're saying yeah. everybody fights. Let's get better at it. Uh, Penn, as you've kind of embraced this journey of fighting with your lovely wife and, and being able to create with her, what what do you what? What have you learned about how you fight or fighting within your marriage? I've learned a ton. I've learned. So you said how you fight. My fighting style for decades has been just apologizing immediately and trying to get over the difficult part of someone being mad at me. Because I hate when people Which are mad I at love, me. I want everyone honestly, to love me. I right. love <laughs> Yeah, what I if love wouldn't? it when you just like, yes. Yeah. And, and Kim is the opposite, right? So she, she kind of knows how to hurt me and get, like, you know, she walks away 
or is icy or her body language changed, she knows that the profuse apology is going to come. So what we had done for a long time is a profuse apology. Okay, you're out of the doghouse. Okay, let's move on without actually addressing the issue at hand. Um, So what I've learned is that you have to finish the fights or they're going to keep coming back. Um, We talk about the three Ds, denial, distraction, and delay, as ways to kind of get out of the way of fights. And we're kind of learning how to not use those and to really get to the crux of the argument. And the best way to do that, and here we talk about magic words, here's the, here's the biggest thing that I've learned from this, okay? Every fight that we have almost starts with either, either starts or continues with me saying, you're acting blank or you should blank or you're being really blank instead of saying, I feel blank. Mm. So I projected onto her feelings instead of talking about my own. Um, and ever since I learned how to do that, because you can't really argue with somebody's feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Those feelings are your own and you can't. And, and as long as those are out on the table, we start moving in the right direction when we're fighting. Not that we don't still fight, but so I've learned that you got to finish the fight and you got to talk about your feelings. Okay, so you mentioned denial, distraction, and delay. Are those kind of coping skills that everybody does or, or, or things that you I found yourself so. doing now? I think it's the fights that we aren't having that are oftentimes the biggest issues. Hmm. And we could put off talking about some important things because it's going to be hard, right? Like, so I think that we all do that. I think we do it in work relationships. I think we do it in friendships. We, you know, whether it's like, you know, I have an issue and, and we all have the same fights, right? It's like money, sex and power. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, it, there's, there's something happening. We're all, we all do it. And, you know, Penn and I talk about um, those in the, in the book and things we just, those stonewalling, the things we weren't talking about, the things we were ignoring are oftentimes the biggest rips. Mm-hmm. We're visiting with the uh, with Kim and Penn Holderness about their book, Everybody Fights. I would be curious, um, because you guys are the the fun, silly couple that does the, you know, the, the, the parody music videos. When you say, hey, we're going to come up with this relationship book and and we've learned some things and we want to share it. How much resistance has there been to be like, hey, stay in your lane, silly music video couple? Yeah. You'd like shut up and dribble. That sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're already kind of used to that, I'll tell you the truth. Um, anytime we try to make any sort of, not even statement, but if, if we make a video that's not 100% vanilla, we will get stay in your lane comments from some people. Um, and it's, it's usually not a majority. Um, th- there is kind of an expectation that we're going to be that funny, goofy family. I, I do think the fact that this is coming out in a different format, like it's a book, we clearly thought about it. Um, <laughs> people will understand that they're not going to open the book and see us dancing in our pajamas in a video. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I do hope that, that uh, the following that we've built over the last six or seven years um, is able to differentiate between the two. And I also hope that this kind of reaches people who aren't part of our normal group. Yeah, that would be the vision that like this, this people pick this up and it's helpful to people who have no idea what we actually do. But P.S. like we've made the book pretty funny. Like we're, you know, we we know, yeah, the publishers told us like women buy the marriage books, like women buy these self-help books. But pencil thing was, but there it takes you know, like the dudes have to be into it too. Yeah. So what he wrote and what he wrote from his perspective, I mean, it's pretty entertaining. So hopefully, you know, I, it is, it is a departure from what we normally do. And like, I, I don't know, let's see. I have no idea if people are going to be open to it. Hope well, so. hope so. Right. Well, you outlined some of your fights in your book and how you learned from them. So you get really personal. And I'm wondering if you'd be willing just to tell us one of those fights and, and what you, learned. Let's start with you, Kim. So many. So we wouldn't do like <laughs> so many. The, the, I love how you say that you too. Know, <laughs> so many fights. That like but like the ten topics that we thought that everybody thought about, which is like the and one that I think is pretty universal is the I do everything, you do nothing. Mm-hmm. And so and it kind of started in a funny way and and is that in our downstairs bathroom the toilet paper ran out. And I was like, you know what? At that point, we had lived in our house for like three years. Everybody knew, everybody I live with, these three people I live with know where I keep the toilet paper. And, but nobody had ever bothered to replace a roll ever. 
And I'm like, I'm just going to let this ride and see how long my family goes without replacing the toilet paper. Oh, you are speaking and my language. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you guys, one week, <laughs> seven days. And so I went and I, and I took to Instagram stories. And this is before Penn knew about Instagram stories. He still doesn't. So, like, let's be honest. <laughs> but, like, and they, so what I didn't know is he was reaching back for the Kleenex, like, in the back of the, like, underneath the cabinet. But for seven Seven days, days. one whole week, my family, and then, and honestly, it would have continued, but somebody on Twitter alerted Penn that, like, (laughs) she's roasting you on Instagram. You better get on this. Oh, and this is like we were still in like active counseling, and I went to him. I was like, "Isn't this funny what I did?" And also, my family—they're so lazy; they do nothing. And he kind of turned the tables. He's like, "Well, like, first of all, like, why didn't you do? Why didn't you ask them?" And he got into the topic of it's called secret contracts. Every relationship, whether it's work, relationship, friendship, marriage, you have made a secret contract, something you do, something you take on that there was never like an agreement, a handshake. But I made the con- the secret contract to refill the toilet paper. I was the one. I'm going to be the one that cooks the dinner. I'm going to be the one that folds the laundry. Penn also had a secret contract we discovered in our marriage. Yes. But, and by the way, but but not all. But by the way, not all secret contracts are bad. Sometimes they are really helpful and they really are useful. Mm-hmm. But Penn took on, and it, it, they only don't work when parties aren't in, in agreement of how this works. His the deal he had kind of been carrying is I have to be a full time cheerleader for this family. I always have to be in a good mood. Mm-hmm. I deal with anxiety and depression. So Penn always felt like he had to be good time Charlie, and so. But, you know, Penn went, you know, we're going through some serious stuff with his parents, both of his parents have Alzheimer's and dementia, to the point where, like, he felt like he always had to carry this good mood. And so finally, we're like, no, dude, you get to be, you get to be sad. Like, you can, I know you feel like you have to always be happy, but you're allowed to be sad. So we, we kind of worked through some really, like, funny, silly stuff with the toilet paper. And then also there's some, like, Mm -hmm. emotional contracts we make of, like, how we conduct ourselves in a relationship. Um, and so sometimes we just yell out like secret contract and yeah. it means like, okay, I need to like stand up and help with the dishes. Like, I'm not always going to be the one that does this. Or if he, like, if I see he needs to be upset about something, I'm like, Hey dude, secret contract. I got this. I can be, I can carry us for a bit. You can be sad for, you can be sad. You can take 10 minutes and be sad. I got it. I got this. Hey Penn, wow. it's ju- it's just mm-hmm. me and you. Just a couple dudes talking now. Uh, what what are you, what are you most excited about uh, within the book th- to share with people that would read it? It's just me and you. Just um, a couple guys. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, so dude. just me and you, bro. Yeah, dude. I, like honestly, the the episode on sex. It's it's a chapter, not an episode. Different. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jim. Kim, it, it lasts one and a half chapters, so you can't call it a chapter. It's Ooh, an episode when it goes true. past one chapter. Ooh, yes. Um, it, 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 same sort of, uh, I mean, honestly, like the headline of both of them is mature people ask for what they want. Hmm. But it, it kind of chronicles the intimacy that you have with the person. The fact that like when you first start dating someone, you're aided by all of this dopamine that gets released when novelty happens, right? Because novelty is the, is the most um, th- like that actually releases chemicals in your body, and it's the reason why when people first start dating, they're kind of all over each other. And we talked a little bit about about how to keep that novelty alive, and most importantly, just talking about asking for what you want in that realm as well, um, which is not something I was used to. I think I just expected intimacy to always have this like hmm. form of mystery and novelty to it, but after a while, you have to. You have to talk about what you want. And once you get over that hump, it's like very rewarding. And I think it, it like that part, I think will help marriages as well. It's great. It like I don't want to get too a, graphic a, about it. Right. Sure. Sure. <laughs> but, but, it, but, it, but, but it's it, an important element. Yeah. A principle of, you know, yeah. mature people ask for what they want. Um, we only have but a minute left with you guys. Uh, and and mm. I would be curious of the things that we've talked about or the things that we haven't talked about. What would you really like to either reiterate or introduce at this point before we let you guys go? I would reiterate that, hey, dudes, yeah. take care yeah, bro. of your car. You take care of your car. You take it in to get the oil changed, even if it's not completely broken down. You don't have to wait until your marriage is starting to break down to do a little bit of maintenance on it. Um, that's what this book is for. It's the idea is to take good marriages and turn them into great marriages. If you've got a, if you've got a marriage that's in real trouble, you probably shouldn't read our book. You should probably get help. 
But if you if you're doing the best you can and you feel pretty good about it and you like some tips and tricks, like why not take your marriage in for a tune up? Great. Well said. Kim, do you have anything to add? I would I I think that along those same lines, my I learned through counseling that my role wasn't to necessarily complete pen. I like you do not complete me, but my role is to be Penn's like chief hype man. My my role is to be a witness to his story. And our marriage really changed and our fights really changed when I learned that my role it was like a true partnership and how to just be, to make space for his story and make space for who he really was. And I hope that through this and through the principles of this book that yes, they're silly and goofy and we are silly, goofy people, but if it can help at least one couple grow just a little bit closer, like I will consider it a success. No, such great advice and real encouragement, which I think is, is so appropriate for any you know, for any couple listening, no matter where they are, just to want to feel encouraged and 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 helped through difficult times or like you were saying, a good marriage mm-hmm. that they want to take to the next level. And now yes. now, Kim and Penn, it wouldn't be me if I didn't do this. Oh, no. Entertainers love to be Girl. put on the spot. And say, yes. hey, you know what? Be funny, monkey. Will you do this for us? So at, will you sing us out? We've been visiting with the Holderness family, Kim and Pam Holderness. You probably have seen them on Facebook, YouTube, all over online. Uh, sing us out, you guys. Everybody fights sometimes. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you for listening to The Lisa Show. We'll be right back. Everybody enjoys laughing, a good sense of humor. It's one of the things that we say is most valuable in our partner. In the place that we work, we would even say that development of humor is just so important to us today. And we need to look no further for the greatest, I I can say this, uh, Craig and I have been good friends for, I would almost say, nearly a decade. Uh, One of the greatest sense of humor that I have ever had the opportunity to interact with. It makes it sound like your sense of humor is a completely different animal than you, which in some cases, when I've seen you on stage, it can be Craig Gass, a stand-up comedian, an impressionist, and a voice actor. Thanks for being on the show. Wow, I don't know how I can live up to that. That that was some overhyping, Richie. That was... <laughs> Thank you. Well, well... Only because people don't know you yet. By the end, people will say, that is one of the greatest senses of humor. I, ju- I just appreciate you, and I appreciate uh, you being willing to come on the show. You yeah. tour and travel and perform all over the world, I would suspect. Can I just point out, you just reminded me of uh, uh, the, the concern that I have about being overhyped. I remember doing the show once. I did a full-blown tour with a band, Alice in Chains. Uh-huh. Um, where uh, I was their opening act doing stand-up comedy on the entire tour. The first night was in Milwaukee, and I stopped into a comedy club to work on the material that I was going to do on stage with Allison Chase. And only one person in the club knew who I was, and it was the host of the show. <laughs> and he was a huge fan of every TV show I've ever been on. And he's super excited, and he's but again, he's the only person in the room who knows who I am. He goes up on stage. He starts the show. Ten minutes. Then he says, all right, are you guys ready to get the show started? Everybody applauds. And he goes, well, folks, something crazy is about to happen right now. Um, you never know when somebody famous decides to drop in to your local comedy club. I'm sure you've all heard of a little TV show called King of Queens. I did one episode of that show. One. <laughs> Immediately, the entire room starts going, oh, it's Kevin James. It's Kevin James. Oh, my God. It's Kevin James. And he goes, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Craig Gass. And as I'm jogging to the stage, the entire crowd collectively goes, who? <laughs> I get up on stage. No one's looking at me. They're all looking at each other like, who is this guy? And I had to keep going. Uh, 
Yeah, it was one episode. It was a good one. It was a good, yeah, one, good one, one of the best, yeah. to be fair. Yeah, one of yeah, the best, best, but yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I just had to just tell you, you just reminded me of that, to where people go, oh my God, something great's about to happen. <laughs> and I think, oh man, well, on. But, but to that point, so let, me, so let me back up where I'm coming from, because every time that I've had the opportunity to uh, talk with you on the radio, to be able to meet you, to whatever sort of interaction we've, uh, we've ever had, not only are you very um, funny, which is important being a stand-up comedian, but you're also like very um, sincere and generous with what you're willing to do. Um, for people, for promoters when you go different places, and just as a human being. And I guess to me that's that's where some of that, that um, you know, that extension of one of the greatest people I've had the opportunity to watch is because it's more than just telling funny jokes. It's also, you, I think that you're a great person beyond that. Well, I appreciate that. I'm just great. I'm always eternally grateful to be alive. And uh, I, uh, I, I try to have as much fun when I'm traveling as possible. And, uh, um, and you know, the shows are mostly, there's two parts to the show. One is just a collection of embarrassing stories about myself, of which <laughs> there is an unlimited um, cachet of. And the other is impressions, which leads into some crazy, crazy stories. Um, and I don't know, did, you, did I ever talk to you about my background, about how I learned how to do voices? You know, I, I'm I'm not sure, and I know a little bit of it, but it has something to do, if, if I remember correctly, something to do with, like, you, that your parents were hard of hearing or deaf or something like that? No, my entire family is deaf. Oh. My mom, my dad, and my sister are all completely deaf. My mom was born completely deaf from a birth defect. My dad was born with all of his hearing, lost it when he was a kid. So he had to go to deaf school to, for the rest of his life. And they had my sister first, who was born in my mom's genes. And then I was born with my dad's genes, with all my hearing. So mm-hmm. I'm only one my family can hear. And um, I always had the ability to do voices because growing up in a deaf family, I couldn't learn how to talk from my family. I learned how to talk by copying all the voices I heard on TV. And I never got an accent from the Bronx, which is where I grew up. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, you don't hear that at all. Bronx yeah, sounds like Tracy Morgan. Everybody in the Bronx talk like this, whether you black or white, male or female, that's crazy. <laughs> hey, this is the voice of your next door neighbor, and I'm a Vietnamese girl. That's crazy. Like everybody shouted like that. Yeah. So the weirder the voice, the easier it is for me to do it. Like Christopher Walken has a real stop and go kind of voice. He'll talk every once in a while. He'll stop. And then I'll keep going. Or uh, <laughs> or Adam Sandler, who's uh, really silly, and uh, he's been doing movies for over 30 years. But he still talks like this, shibby doo. So, yeah. So the so I always um, uh, almost all the characters I played on TV has used some aspect of me doing voices on uh, King of Queens or on uh, Las Vegas. Um, Sex and the City was more of a straight acting role, and for the last few years, I've been doing uh, voices on. <laughs> On Family Guy and American Dad, which happened after I last saw you. Man, I have the craziest story for you about how I ended up on Family Guy. Please. Did you know that I started doing voice work with them? I, I, I was aware, but I have no idea how it happened. Or Please, tell me. They discovered me on YouTube. I never even auditioned for the show. They had this amazing casting director named Linda Lamonte. And Linda called me up and said, hi, Craig, my name's Linda. I'm the casting director for Family Guy and American Dad. And I don't know if you're available, but I'd like to offer you a job on the shows. And when she called me, I was sitting in a Long John Silver's and I was like, I could not be more available right now. I am <laughs> so available. I'm just trying to get some hush puppies. What, what do you want? Yeah. Tell me what you need. You're racking, and, your, you're racking your brain going, all right, which one of my comedian friends could this voice be? Is there someone that's playing a prank on me? Who is this? 
Well, it's funny you say that. The number actually came in and she left a voicemail and it was from a 310 number. And I was like, I don't know who that is. I'm not picking up. And I always get nervous about people because there's been times when I pick up a, an LA number and it's a famous person <laughs> putting me on the spot. Um, I, I remember one time picking up the phone and hearing, hi, Craig, it's Alec Baldwin. I'm sitting here with Andy Garcia. Do you mind doing a few impressions for us? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'm just, you know, I'm hanging out at a subway sandwich shop, going, uh, yeah, uh, hold on, and I and I run outside, and I'm I'm super nervous. So I hear the voicemail. It's Linda Lamontagne, and I'm like, oh my god! I call her back, and she goes, hey Craig, she asked me a bunch of questions. Are you available to come to LA? Uh, we'd like to have you in the studio. You can work with Seth on on an episode. And, and I said yes, yes, yes. I said yes to everything she asked me, and then hung up the phone. The night before I flew out to Los Angeles, I'm hanging out with a bunch of my comedian friends in New York. And I said, dude, I just got a job doing voices on Family Guy and American Dad. How cool is that? And one of my comedian friends said, oh, my God, how much are they paying you? And I went, I have no idea. I never even asked the woman what I was getting paid. So I had to call her back. And I said, hi, Linda, it's Craig Gass. And she goes. Are you okay? And I said, yes, I'm okay. Oh, um, this is very awkward, but uh, I never asked you what I was getting paid when I get there. What, what am I getting paid for this uh, for this TV show? And she goes, oh, uh, hold on. And she starts going through some paperwork, and she goes, Craig, yes, Craig, Craig, okay, you're getting scale plus 10. And I was like, okay. Yeah, perfect. So I'm, I'm scale plus 10. And she goes, yeah. I'm like, all right. So I'm scale plus 10. And she goes, yeah, you're scale plus 10. I go, all right, I'm scale plus 10. All right, I got you. And she goes, all right, do you have any questions? And I said, yes, what is a scale? I don't, like, I used to smoke a lot when I was in high school and I thought, you know, I know I used to deal with scales when I was a kid, but uh-huh. what is scale? And she had to explain to me that the union that I was already a part of had negotiated a deal where every voiceover actor gets a minimum, which is referred to as scale. And at the time, scale was $780 plus 10%, which was $78. So I'm getting $858. And I'm like, oh, that's, you know, my trip was going to cost me 500. So I'm going to make a profit. That's fine. I go in and dude, have you ever had some, because in radio, the cool thing about radio is you get to meet so many people that you you look up to and admire. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's people who you don't think anything of, and you'll be like, oh my God, that guy was so cool, and you'll defend them for the rest of your life. Yes. Have you ever met anyone, though, that you kind of lost it and fanned out a little too hard on? Yes. <laughs> And Who it, was it? And what it, happened? It was the it was the it was the the most bizarre situation. Do you remember the old TV show Lost? Of course. So Alex on Lost, the girl, okay. kind of the younger girl that I can't remember the exact scenario, but she she's like a B or C list character in the show. I was right in the particular part of watching the season that it was my entire life, and I was just enveloped in it. And it was up at the Sundance Film Festival. And she walks in, and I had even booked the interview, but the name and the face didn't make the connection, and I just lost it to the point that I'm sure if she could have left the room and not done the interview, she wouldn't have done it. <laughs> you lost it on the girl from Lost. That's a great The, the C-list wow. character. Well, for me, I've been on every TV show I've been on. I'm really lucky. It's been a huge TV show. Sex and the City was huge. King of Queens was huge, but I never watched those shows until I was on it. Family Guy was like appointment television for me every Sunday. So I walk in, and it's Seth MacFarlane, the creator of all these amazing shows of Family Guy, American Dad. And I just start losing it. Um, Every time he made a joke, I laughed a little too hard, I could tell, because I would laugh and go, ha! and he'd go, whoa, relax. And i go, oh, sorry, okay, yeah. all right, sorry. And then we do the recording session. The whole recording session lasted maybe five minutes, where uh, Seth kept doing one line as Peter Griffin, the character, where he kept saying, this is crazier than when Al Pacino was a slumlord laundromat tenant. And they cut to me as Al Pacino, surrounded by a bunch of broken down washers and dryers going, you're out of order. 
and you're out of order. And your law, out of order. And I do that three times. And Seth MacFarlane goes, all right, man, I think we're good. But I'm nervous because I believe in my mind that we're going to be friends now. <laughs> so I stand up and I go, uh, uh, hey, so uh, you want to hang out? <laughs> that no. line just no, there. no, you didn't. And Seth MacFarlane stared at me and said, what do you mean to hang out? And I go, I, I don't know. You want to grab a coffee or something? You want to? And he goes, I have to work. And I said, okay. <laughs> Do you want me to leave? And he goes, yeah, get out of here. And I went, oh, my God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I grab all my paperwork. I walked out. I didn't hear from them for like six months after that. And then Linda started calling me and saying, hey, Craig, can you do this voice or can you do this voice? And every time she sent me an audition, I was like, I can do whatever you need. I'll do whatever you need. And now every time I go in, Seth MacFarlane's never around. It's always this guy, Mike Henry, who does the voice of Cleveland and the creepy old guy. And every time I see Mike, I'll go, hey, Mike is uh, – Seth around? And every time I see him, he goes, don't worry about Seth. We'll get you out of here real quick. We'll get you out of here real quick. Like, yeah. Yeah. I I, I have a tendency to overshoot. And that's, if you come see me, there's, uh, the show is, half the show is impressions and then stories about people who I do impressions of and an amazing amount of embarrassing stories around those celebrities. Where do people get those dates from, Craig? Oh, they go to my website, getgas.com. Getgas. And that's two S's.com. Yeah, two S's on the gas. Now, uh, just one kind of question in closing, and it's been so so fun to be able to to visit with you again, and and it seems like just the greatest opportunity for people to get out and to have a laugh. You have been performing now for at least a little while. What has it been like as a stand-up comedian to be able to return when for so long you weren't able to be doing this thing that you have trained your whole life for? Well, it's, uh, I find that people are relieved to be out and it's great to get on stage and, and examine the anxiety that at least I had. I find that most people aren't as much of a hypochondriac as I am, but uh, uh, I know that there was uh, several moments during the pandemic where I would cough and go, oh my God, that tasted like a bat. Like I would, I would think like, oh my God, did, did you, I think I have it. I think I just tasted a bat. Like I just, I realized that I was a little, um, uh, that I have a little bit of an issue with being a hypochondriac, but everybody seems excited. It's like, it's such a great feeling to get back on stage and, and reconnect with everybody and, and uh, with the audiences, with the other comedians and people are just so happy to come in and laugh about these experiences that we've gone through collectively over the last year. So it's it's a great feeling, and um, you know I wish I had something funnier to say about it, but it really is this warm feeling every time we go into a club and and people show up, and we're all getting fully vaxxed. I've been fully vaxxed since April first, and. And I'm grateful to be back at work. Yeah, and I just appreciate what you're doing. I know there's this tremendous amount of pressure whenever uh, comedians come on the radio. It's like, hey, monkey, dance. And it's that seems like just the worst position to, to put people in. But but knowing that you love what you do, like I say from the very beginning, comes out in what it is that you do and in the entertaining and the connections that you help people make with one another. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that the... The cops are coming to get you now. It sounds like uh, so. <laughs> so I better I, I better let you go uh, get you know whisked away in the uh, cop car with them. Uh, it's getgas.com or Wise Guys Comedy if you live in the state of Utah to be able to see my good friend and friend here at the Lisa Show, Craig Gas. Thank you so much for being on. You're listening to the Lisa Show. Uh, now, this next story is is inspiring. And here at The Lisa Show, we like to ha- draw your attention to, to people who are doing good in the world. And Renee Brinkenhoff is just that kind of person. She wanted to complete six race car rallies in seven continents, all in a vintage Porsche 356 vehicle. Three, what? Did I say that right? 356? A Porsche 356? I was going to say 356. A Porsche 356. Three, I know there's a way to car people would say it. <laughs> 
I just Lisa, am... <laughs> not a car lady. <laughs> oh, I've showed my cards. Uh, while this seems like a worthy pursuit in and of itself, it's not the end of the story. In fact, we were amazed to hear that Renee's goal with these races is to put an end to the terror that is human trafficking. And we were inspired by Renee's mission. So we've invited her on the show today to tell us more about it. She's the racer and philanthropist from Valkyrie Racing Team. Uh, welcome, Renee. Thank you. Good morning, you guys. Okay, so for those who don't know, and I'm not saying that it's me. Yeah, it, it's not Lisa, <laughs> although she demonstrated she clearly doesn't know about car talk. It's not her. I'm so but, embarrassed But that for I said everybody that. else. <laughs> Can you explain what a rally is when we're talking about that you're having these rallies? Okay, a rally is a type of racing. So there's, there's like road racing, what you see when they go around a track, right? Mm-hmm. And... Um, so rally racing is just a form of racing. And what it is, is you can be on open or closed roads, and they can be on tarmac, which is pavement, or on gravel, and uh, or any kind of surface, for that matter. And you have a navigator with you. So it, within the car is the driver, who, and then you have the navigator sitting next to you. And the navigator calls out your turns, reads to you information that he has or she has in front of you that tells you what you're not seeing. So you can take what you're seeing now, driving, and prepare for two, three, four turns down the road. Like a backseat driver in the front seat. In the front seat, exactly. So that's what rally racing is. And it's usually, you know, long distances. Um, Gosh, what else can I tell you about it? Um, Typically, you have a support crew. So if you get broken down, there's certain areas that they can come and help you. But Hmm. again, it's just flat out racing fast as you can go, as fast as you dare. But the thing about it is you never see the same turn more than once. Wow. So it's not like a track where you can memorize every turn uh-huh. and every straight and know where to set yourself up, gauge everything by inches. No, this is all about, I'm never going to see this stretch of road again. Oh, wow. And there can be animals, there can be people, there can be oncoming traffic. Uh, there's not always supposed to be those things, obviously. Ooh, but wow. you never know what you're going to see and what you're going to be confronted with. We have rallies in our home. We call them road trips, and my wife is my navigator. And instead of telling me like what turns are coming up, she'll say things like, "Slow down! Are you? What are you? Are you? Do you not see that? Do you not see what? How are these rallies helping to um, raise money or to help fight human trafficking?" So we, I started racing in my late fifties, and it was a have to, not a want to. It was something I realized I'd been saying to myself for over thirty years. Wow! And I heard it. I heard it in my head. I was saying, one day I'm going to race a car. I realized if I've been saying that for that much time, there's something going on there. I better pay attention. And I knew I had to go try. I was super afraid, didn't know anything about cars or racing, but I thought, I've got to go do this thing. And I ended up participating in a race, which I had no idea at the time, is probably the most dangerous tarmac rally race in the world. It started in 1950. And I, and I went down in uh, 2013 in my car, again, as a rank starter in driving, and it, everything was brand new, right? Yeah. And we ended up winning our class. We ended up making history in that race. We went back, and every time we went back, we made another type of history. I was typically the only woman driver between 70 to 100 men, and we just had this amazing experience. And because it was such an oddity, it's a woman, she's older, they're winning, they're in this amazing little 356 i got people listen so people start listening to your story right when you're mm, odd and right. telling something unusual they're listening and i thought we can use this voice we can use this to do something that we really care about we care about kids that are being trafficked so we coupled the two together and we formed world rally tour so it's project 356 world rally tour to race the car in every continent we have one left antarctica and so wow. we just through media throughout the world, we are the mic is always in front of us. We're given an opportunity to tell our story, and then we get to tell why. And in the process, we give money in every country that we go to. Okay. And in addition, we give country, uh, money to other countries that we don't go to. So we do a try, have a global touch. We work with grassroots organizations. They do the majority of the work. They get the least amount of funding. We've raised $200,000 so far. We have a goal of a million by the time we're finished. So that sort of encapsulates who we are and what we're doing. Wow. So when is your next race? We're scheduled for this January. We're actually talking um, with our group yesterday. Because of COVID, shipping has been very delayed, and the car has to go in a cargo container. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, we were hoping to be on the ice right around Christmas, but it'll be in January, which is fine. There's a, a small window of time that you can do anything in Antarctica. And so we're trying to get there during that time and to make this happen. What does that look like? I mean, uh, both literally Antarctica, <laughs> but what does a rally race in Antarctica look like? Well, really, right? There's no racing in Antarctica. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's, but so what we're doing is we're racing the elements, and it is extremely difficult. People have no idea. They think snow is snow and ice is ice and cold is cold, right? Mm-hmm. No, this environment is like no other environment on our planet. And it's, you know, people have, t- companies, manufacturers have taken vehicles down to show them off, right? Here's our new car. Here's what we're going to do here in Antarctica. They get down there. They literally go a couple thousand meters. The car's done. It's done. You know, the metals, I mean, everything is so extreme that what happens to, to a vehicle down there. So we will be racing those elements. And to commemorate the 356 and our last rally, we're going to do three. The goal is to do 356 miles on the ice. We will have a negative carbon footprint. Um, we've calculated all of our carbon footprint around the world for all of these events, and we will, uh, we're doubling that amount, and we're creating a forest to offset all of that. And then as much as we can, we're using biofuel, et cetera. So it's basically, you know, racing the 40 degrees below Fahrenheit degrees, uh, the winds, the, the ice, the crevasses are a huge, huge concern. People die, several people die every year down there because of the crevasses. You have to tether yourself to the car. You can't get out of the car without being tethered to it. You think it's a solid surface, but it's not necessarily solid. Um, And then in the process, we're going to attempt a land speed record on the blue ice. And um, that will be the culmination of the World Rally Tour. And, you know, people say, why Antarctica? Well, it's one of the seven continents. And then also trafficking is going on there. You know, kids are trafficked on the Internet. That's where a lot of it is mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. Even in poor countries, people will have their phones or their computers. I mean, Wi-Fi and satellites and it's everywhere. And children are being trafficked initially, uh, a lot of them, through the Internet. And then, of course, then there's meetings and things happen. So even in Antarctica, if people mm-hmm. have a computer, child pornography, trafficking going on, things are happening. So... It's the second largest illegal business in the world, over $150 billion of illegal money. And we want to make a difference. And every life matters. Every child matters. And that's that's what we care about. That's what we're doing. We're talking with Renee Brinkerhoff, racer and philanthropist, about how she's working to race on all seven continents. Why are you so passionate about fighting against human trafficking? Why is this your cause? You know, just like this racing, I'd say, found me, this this tragedy, this problem found me. And it's not something you would typically go looking for. Mm-hmm. It's it's ugly. You know, why do you, why do you want to get involved? I've even been involved in doing undercover investigative work to find kids that are being trafficked. Mm-hmm. Those are really ugly, dirty places, right? Um, I was speaking to a gentleman on a bus that was on a tour bus. He was with his fiance and he started telling me about what he does for a living. And he is an undercover agent in Florida, again with the FBI. And he poses as a buyer of child pornography. He gets evidence. He arrests those people and attempts to get them prosecuted. And I'd never heard of that. And he said, it's widespread in our country. And that feeds into child trafficking. So when I was reading and learning about child pornography, I realized that this problem of child trafficking. Mm -hmm. And then I was on a a Hertz rental bus going to pick up a car. I was um, in Los Angeles actually going to go pick up a car. And I sat down next to a man on the bus and he had his phone out. I looked over at his phone and he had a pornographic image of a child on his phone. Uh-huh. And I, and of course, he quickly obviously changed that and moved his phone. But I said, what is going on? Mm-hmm. A few months ago, I learned about this. Today, this is happening. Something's happening. I don't believe in coincidences. Yeah. And I said, I need to do something about this. This is something that's being put on me. I'm not choosing it. And that's how it started. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. And then all these uh, years and these races, these rallies later, um, being able to make a difference. That's a, 
it, it's it's pretty awesome to hear and and be able to see. And I, I would imagine you feel the same way as well to to know you're really being guided or right. sort of pushed in a way that you're like, oh, OK, I'm getting it. You know, there aren't coincidences. Mm-hmm. This is, this is you know, sort of where you do something about it. Yeah. It's pretty powerful to, to launch into that. Let me ask you something. Uh, as the resident car guy of the Lisa show, uh, <laughs> is there significance in the car that you have been driving in all these rallies? Was there, was there significance before I bought the car? or uh, Is there um, any significance around the car? So uh, a vintage Porsche is not mm-hmm. certainly common, um, but I'm wondering if, there, if there's a reason why that particular car. You know, when I realized I had to go racing, I had to find a car, and I didn't know anything about race cars. And one of my husband's cousins said, hey, come over. I just bought this old car. I've got a project. I want to show you this car. And that was the first time I saw that car. And so, Lisa, don't feel bad. In the United States, we say 356. Thank but you. In the U- <laughs> but in the UK and in Europe, they say 356. Okay. So See? So I'm just European yeah. at yeah. heart yeah. Yeah. in my car love. Yeah. Yeah. You're <laughs> covered there. So, And I saw that car. And I fell in love with the way that car looked. I've never seen one before. It is so awesome. It's it just harkens back to this amazing period of time. You know, I guess you always think the times before that you didn't live in are better than the one you're in, right? Right. <laughs> and, you know, it was the 50s. And the, when you saw those old images of race cars like Jim, Jimmy Dean or James Dean, right? Mm-hmm. He started in a 356 and then he moved to the Porsche Spider. So it has those big curves. And then it just has this amazing sound, and it doesn't have, of course, any save me features, right? No airbags, no systems that are going to stabilize seat belts. (laughs) So yeah, I just loved everything about it. I loved the way it sounded and and felt, and it's so visceral. Everything you just are totally connected to that machine when you're in it driving. I and that's how it came about. Wow. Well, now I want to drive one. Yeah. Listen, we'll, I don't know if it would be safe for we'll go, someone like We'll go me, to but. the dealership and ask him if they have a 356 weekend drive. You know, it's it's pretty symbolic and an awesome story, uh, Renee, that, yeah, that you talk about. Yeah, it's very inspirational on a lot of levels. Like he, yeah, hearing, hearing the voice the, being called and then actually doing something about it and then taking it one step further and knowing that you are helping uh, you know, reduce the human trafficking that exists in the world. I mean, you're literally saving lives. I think that that in that uh, that necessitates a, a huge kudos to you for what for what you're doing. Well, I think no matter what can be given, whether it's a dollar or it's one life or it's one person that you keep from being trafficked, every one of those matter. Every every yeah. contribution you can make. Anytime you can talk about it, and even if you, all you do is save one child. Now, obviously, we want to do much more than that, but it all matters. It all matters. And so I'm just so blessed and thankful that I can be a participant. Now, when you're not racing, what are you doing with the foundation? We have fundraisers, and um, and then we do speaking. And, we, and then I do um, – I've started – I was actually vetted um, to do investigative work and uh, going undercover. And I've got a couple more of those trips planned for this year, one um, back in Southeast Asia, one in Latin America. And um, make, you know, raising awareness, um, talking to you guys this morning, and uh, finding out also we, do, we spend a lot of time vetting the organizations that we support. You, you really obviously want to know where your dollars are going and you want your dollars to have the greatest impact. So we do support grassroots organizations for the most part. They're the ones doing all the hard work. They're the people on mm-hmm. the ground in those countries. And so, and then when we are traveling and racing, we make an attempt to visit those organizations that we've sponsored and sent money to, keeping in track with them. There's been a lot of reaching out to us in the last few months with COVID. Those kids are still being trafficked. Yeah. And now we add, mm-hmm. they add it that not only are they with strangers, they're with people that could have COVID and they have no protection. So, it's just, it's an ongoing thing. It's something, you know, our, we just, every day, it's like, how can we do this better? And, and yeah, we just, and how can we have a better impact? If people want to find you and they want to help out, where's the best place they can visit? We have a website. It's actually still under construction a little bit. So 
uh, be, be patient with us, but it's uh, ValkyrieRacing.com, and that is spelled V-A-L-K-Y-R-I-E, Racing.com. And then we are on Instagram, and that's Valkyrie underscore Racing. And you can reach out to us, email us, call us if you have any questions. Um, yeah, we would love to hear from you. It would be fantastic. Thanks, Renee. We've been talking to Renee Brinkerhoff, who's a racer and a philanthropist, about her Valkyrie racing team, which are, who are on a mission to end human trafficking through the Project 356, I say it, yeah. the European oh, way, World Rally Tour. This is a an intense time of the year. I just want to have take a little break and, and tell yourself, remind everyone, myself included, to take a deep breath. And just to enjoy the moment and in, try to enjoy different little individual moments and maybe just make a goal of trying to be present and in the moment and not worried and feeling shame or guilt or uh, stress or worry at least a couple times a day, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Just to take it to, to be able to enjoy the changing of the seasons, to celebrate different upcoming holidays with friends or family. You know, there's a lot of obligations, but at the same time, it really is an opportunity to step outside of your comfort zone and just be and to take that deep breath and really enjoy the sights, sounds, smells, tastes of this time of the year. And I think that if we all enter into this time with that intention, it's more likely to happen. I love something that you said where it's just to be able to listen to another person. So I'm curious, as a mom, as a friend to a lot of people, in fact, everyone I meet, I'm a friend of Lisa's. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Uh, When someone comes to you and they have problems and you sort of, you just want to listen uh, and they're they're telling you things, how do you turn off the, well, here's what you need to do and just be able to listen to that person. I think it's the most wonderful compliment that someone would be able to just want to talk to you and tell you what's on their mind. Right. And and it's a very vulnerable act. And having been on the giving side of that, of like just needing to vent or to work through something, it, it's a generous act. So I always try to think if somebody needs to talk to me about a problem, I think, what a privilege. And I try to start from that place, take a deep breath and really, really listen to what it is that they're saying. Mm-hmm. And, and really listening and active listening, it's something that we've talked about actually on the show, it takes a lot of concentration and empathy and trying to put yourself into their shoes and really imagine not how you would react to the situation, but how they are reacting to the situation. Hmm. And after they have fully explained what they want to explain, asking follow-up questions so that you really understand the situation. And then I think it's just fine to explicitly ask do you want me to commiserate with you or are you looking for suggestions on mm-hmm. how to solve this problem? Or or you know, most of the time, I think that the reasons why we want to vent and, and get that off their chest is because there are some situations that are not solvable, right? right? And, right. and, and, and it, be, those become, it becomes very, very clear if you're listening really well. Hmm. And that's a great gift that you can give to someone else to say, I hear you, I see you. And, you know, I'm still here with you and you're not alone in it or, you know, whatever. And now we can kind of move forward and and it's okay, and it's okay, And you'll get to the other side of it. Thank you for listening to The Lisa Show.